This is The Shift Podcast. Welcome to The Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Here we are rolling into December. Remember in the springtime, we were like, yeah, just a couple of weeks of cleaning up our lives and we'll be good. Well, here we are. Things are on this very downhill, slippery slope, all things COVID, but all things with what we're going through. Over the last few months here on The Shift, we've spoken an awful lot about mental health. We've spoken a lot about men's mental health, only because of the fact that we're a bunch of dudes. We don't mean to diminish what women go through. And I have a friend who uh, is a real leader on social media in her career uh, in front of teachers and first responders. Her name is Jody Carrington, psychologist. Dr. Jody Carrington is with me now. An interesting perspective to share from. Um, yeah, so we've spoken awful lot about men's mental health just because I think men can, we can all be, uh, not be better. I don't want to put morality on it. We can all reevaluate how we tell our story. And it's something that really matters to me. And it means for everybody, just happens to be that the access point is with men. Now, Jody is a mom and she's not only um, got her business to run and her team and her writing and her books and her uh, psychology practice and the army of children that she seems to collect around her house. Uh, She's uh, uh, got a husband and all of that COVID in the family. Uh, so holy cow, where do we start, Jody? What, what, what happened? Oh my God, COVID caught us. And I, I want to tell you so many things. Like I love this discussion about men's mental health. I love how you said, um, the telling of the stories, because that's why it's really tricky. Telling stories for men about emotion is always a struggle, which is why men typically struggle more at the end of the day than women do, Mm -hmm. because if you name it, you tame it which is really where we're at in this COVID journey for our family, because um, you and I have talked many times before that uh, I kind of have this little community where we have walked each other through this pandemic. And uh, one of the biggest things we talked about in March and April was like, not today, Corona, not today. You are not going to win. You are not going to push us around. You're a bitch and we are not on the same page. And so we talked about kindness and connection and community. And how do we do that with the people we serve? And then uh, she caught us. So um, what happened is that we were being very fairly safe, as I would uh, assume, you know, many people do mask and all of those things. And we had a meeting, a team meeting. Uh, One of our team members is uh, from Calgary amazing soul and came into had a team meeting and we shared a lunch together and she'd been exposed a couple of days prior tested positive and so as soon as we found that out our entire team of four and our families quarantined all got tested everybody tested negative except one but because of the primary exposure we were required to um uh do our quarantine for 14 days and there's a reason why they have 14 days we were like oh we're good we're good at day 11 my husband got sick on day 12 uh, with no other outside exposure. So we had been, uh, in the house for 11 days and he said, you know, I start, I'm not feeling well tonight. And I was like, listen, we've already tested negative. You are fine. Stop being a baby. And you know how that works. So, um, and because the part of the deal is if he's not okay, I'm not okay. And I don't have time for him to not be okay because I've been locked in the same mother pack and house for 11 days with the four people who I'm supposed to love more than anything on the planet. And I just want to throw punch everybody. So I said to him, you're fine. He's like, Joe, I, if I'm going to go back coaching hockey, I want to get one more test just to make sure, because can you imagine? I was like, fine, go drive to Red Deer, sit in the line, whatever you want to do. He's positive. No. So we get his results and he was, he got sicker in those two days. And so I was like, oh, I think he's right. So day 12 of day 13 of quarantine, he tests positive, which means uh, we then all become primary exposures and have to all get retested. Um, we, uh, one of the twins test positive. So all right, we have two, we have twins who are two twins. We have twins who are seven, uh, one test positive. And two days later, the next one test positive. Uh, I'm still negative in that moment, which means at the end of every one of their symptom phases, we have to add an additional 14 days to our quarantine time because we might then have caught it from them and our symptoms not show up for another, you know, 14 days as it did with Aaron. Right. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think you've done your time, so you should be good. But every incubation period can set off the next guy's incubation period. Do you understand? And so we were like, 
And I'll, then we just wanted it. So we started licking each other. I mean, not really, but I was like, if we just get it, we get out sooner. Well, and there's so, truth to that, right? Like if you have it, it's almost better to be get your positive because then yeah. then it rolls along much faster and than you know, the unknown. It, it's so true because then you're really just like, it's such a mind game because you're like, is that it? Is that, do I got it? Is that it? Is that it? And I think, you know, we, we had this beautiful conversation. Alberta Health Services has been just a gem. Every interaction that we've had at the testing sites and on 811 have been so supportive. And in one of our first times through, because we were through that testing thing uh, like eight times. And, um, she just said to me, you know, as I've been work, I've worked in, you know, this sort of, um, is it called communicable diseases? Is that the, or like, anyway, whatever it's called. Sound Um, makes sense to me. I I don't know. That's probably not the word, but anyway, she said, I've been doing this for a nurse for a very long time. And she said, you know, as, as long as you're fairly healthy, the best plan, and I didn't say this out loud, but the best plan is for everybody to get it because then it's like, if you are quarantining together, you can't separate in your house. Then the idea is right. Like if you can walk through this together, then you have the antibodies and you're immune and blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, we all, four of us test positive and my son after 31 days is still negative. Wow. So does he have to wait now? Cause you have good news as of, you know, as of yes. Monday, you have good news. Yes. So I tested positive uh, last week. I had very few symptoms, um, probably a conjunctivitis, which so for me, all of us, the only, I think, common symptom we had was um, a red eye, um, glassy eyes. And um, Aaron got her, my husband got a really heavy cough. I had lots of headaches. I slept for 20 out of 24 hours a day. Um, He was really achy. The twins both had fevers. They were done in two days. I was down and out for eight days without a doubt. And uh, my husband as well. And then um, today is like freedom day for me. Aaron's freedom day was last week. The twins were out Saturday and Sunday respectively. And so it's just been, I was telling you today before we got on the air that I was like, it was like, I could just kiss everybody I saw because it was so, I didn't realize how hard this has been, but this is day 31. And I, like I went for a long time hating people. Cause I don't, I'm not a fan of people, even as a psychologist. And now I'm like, I, I just want to go hang out with anybody who talked to me. I was waving yeah. at people crazy today. So yeah, so that's where we are. So, so much in this process, we've learned about um, the virus and uh, how infuriating anti-masking debates can get, how um, it was not, it didn't affect us significantly because none of us required hospitalization. Um, but the ramifications of having to phone people like our minor hockey team in our school, having to let people know that we have uh, been exposed and they say things like, oh my God, I saw my grandma last night. Oh, right. why didn't you, how did you know? How long have you known? Why didn't you tell me the shame, right. the guilt, well, the remorse? Right there. Shame. We've talked about this down. What is so what is the shame that comes with that? I mean, there's an awful lot of people that um, might not have the the, the, the fortitude um, and the courage to be brutally honest with with all those people because it's better that you don't know um, in their mind. Um, probably not better that you don't know, but I mean, how do you deal with the shame of having to call people, some of which are just peripheral, you know, uh, like friends of proximity, not real friends. How do you, how do you, how do you push through that? Um, I would say that that was the hardest part. And, you know, I've talked a lot about it on our platform. Um, I've talked a lot about it to anybody who have, you know, has questions about it, because I think that's part of the biggest issue is that it is such a, um, the incubation period lends itself to a lot of people just not talking about it. They don't want to get tested. They say it's just a cold. And that's why we see the massive perpetuation of the virus. Right. Mm. And I think that's, that's how it's reflected is that the incubation period doesn't allow us to be, I mean, if you touch somebody and you're like, Oh, got it. I mean, of course we don't intend to hurt anybody. We are kind by nature. We are connected. We are wired for connection in this whole sort of human experience. We weren't meant to do this alone. We don't want to do this alone. So it's so much easier to not be disconnected in that process and be like, hey, I think, I think, I think. And as I think, you know, Dina Hinshaw has talked about again and again and again in her rock star way is just like, this is shame is a part of this. And it is the thing that'll beat us. The virus will beat us if we allow shame to win. And 
sometimes like we're not fighting each other. We're fighting a virus. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we have to remind each other again and again and again. I am very grateful that, you know, we had to call, I don't know, between us because we quarantined for so long, but maybe, okay, so five people. And I'm very grateful in all of our conversations with AHS. Like I said to them, I'm quite confident that it stopped with our family. I'm quite confident that like Aaron didn't leave the house. I didn't leave the house. The kids were home from school. Um, I'm quite confident that we would have stopped it here. Right. And now Asher, again, you're like, and honestly, Shane, I know why people have these conversations. Aaron was in my office this morning, my husband, and he was like, do you think we can send Asher back to school next week? Like, I'd really love to have him go back to school next week because he's been away from everybody for 30 days. Like what's worse mental health or like whether or not we can play the odds. And I was, so we had these real conversations and I'm like, let's talk about it. And he's like, but, but we can't, like, we can't have played it by the book this long and been like, ah, screw it. Right. But you know what, what happens when you don't have childcare? What happens when you're a single dad? What happens when you, I got to go to work. I can't, I mean, there's, there's two in the house right now. One's 10 and one's seven. And I'm like, I just got to run to the office. Are you be fine? We're fine. You know, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And there's shame in then shaming people for trying to keep their livelihood going, you know? So I I understand all of it. Well, and it's, isn't it interesting, that perspective? We were speaking about COVID and Christmas last week on the program, and, and someone had very innocently, and when I say this, when I quote this text, I don't say it, in case they're listening, I don't want to name them, uh, because out of shaming or anything like that, it was an innocent text message. The text message was, is we're going to have Christmas, we're going to make sure that nobody shares utensils, uh, we're going to do all these things. And it occurred to me in that moment that uh, I got this, um, I think I have a new understanding or a new understanding of the misunderstanding of I got this. Yeah. And we have this thing about, oh, I got it. I, I got it. Like there's So something like a virus has no shame. It has no emotion. It doesn't care, right? It doesn't have feelings like humans do. Yeah. And so, but we, we want to, we want to have this creating certainty around this virus, totally innocent. I get it. I've been there. I've done it. I've made the exact same decisions where I've said, oh, I'll be fine. And so you convince yourself that. And so I guess what I wanted to ask you, Jody, um, you know, and you can answer this as from, from your mom hat or your psychology hat, or, or maybe just your, your spouse hat is we're so afraid to be wrong or do we need to be right in I got this, right? Like there's this righteous thing that we sort of have deeply woven inside us. And to me, it goes back to fear. It goes back to the don't die today fear thing. Like, but is it us not wanting to have that shame conversation? Are we afraid to be wrong? Because it seems to me that doesn't matter what side anybody lands on, whether they're maskers or anti-maskers, nobody's willing to admit anything about getting it wrong. And that seems to me, this team seems to me to be the recurring pattern here. I don't know if people want to be right. I don't know if people are afraid to be wrong. And maybe it's both. Maybe they're one in the same. Um, I would always say in my language speaking that they're one in the same. But how do we start with that conversation? Because that's the hard one. I mean, that's the one that deeply gets into everything all the way back to grade two, put your hand up, I got to go pee teacher and someone makes a comment about, you know, and insults you as a kid. That's as deeply rooted as it gets. So where do mm. we do? Where do we go? Well, I mean, let's start off with small questions. I mean, I feel like why why would we not try to take on the whole like what what do you mean where do we go? Here's the fundamental issue is that all behavior has meaning. Right. Everything And everybody has a story that'll bust your soul. If I sat down with somebody who is a, uh, a physician who has walked countless people home in their darkest moments where they couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones and deaths that we could have prevented, their story would be so emphatically true that you would in the heartbeat drop to your knees and say, what can I do? I got you. If I sat with a single mom who has to go to work 
And her only support is her aging mom who has Alzheimer's, who cannot, this might be her last Christmas. And there is no way that anybody, including this government, is going to tell her that she cannot spend this last Christmas with the only grandma her baby's going to have. Right. Who am I to say, hey, there's some rules we got to follow here, right? Do you want to kill all of society? Mm-hmm. Everybody, I don't know if it's a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of perspective. And I think anywhere, any side of the coin, anybody, the worst, I've never, I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in this country. I've never met a bad kid. Mm-hmm. I've sat in the court a lot and said in front of a judge that certain parents should not be able to parent their children because I don't think they're fit. Every single one of those parents, those people love their babies. They all have a story that would bust your soul. And what becomes so critical in this moment is not about deciding who's right or what's, who's wrong. We know that at the heart of this, safety becomes an issue, which is why all of the measures have to be put into place, right? But underneath every single one of those measure, measures, there's sleepless nights. And there is questions and with no answers and wondering how best to navigate a system, a province, a globe through a pandemic that we've never seen before. And I keep coming back to this empathy and kindness, kindness and grace are more contagious than the virus. And when you need it the most, it's the hardest to give it. And do we ever need it right now? Well, it's beautiful. When somebody is resisting and somebody is pulling on the rope, playing the tug of war, mm-hmm. I always say, just drop the rope. Um, how do we have a conversation with those people? I get on the show here, I get uh, both compliments and fire, if you will, for being kind to listeners and embracing listeners. I, I, I often actually, you know what, let me give you a piece of acknowledgement because there's one thing that you've taught, you've, you've te- taught me that um, I use on the show is that um, Matt is just sad in disguise. Mm-hmm. And that's how I try to approach when someone says, well, how does that not bother you when someone calls you an idiot? on the radio. And I'm like, well, Matt is usually sad in disguise. So I, I do hear the sadness, right? And that's directly from Jody for everyone who's listening. This is the lady right here who, who has given me that to give to you. So a full credit to Jody. Um, so how do you do that? How does everybody, normal people, when they run into somebody who is, you know, probably terrified and not listening, pulling on the rope, How do we even start that conversation? Is there anything that we can learn here? Mm -hmm. I think one of the most significant superpowers that we all own and we rarely use is the simple power of acknowledgement. So people in indigenous culture, peoples in indigenous culture have taught me this more than anybody in the last six months. They often talk about a land acknowledgement. They've, they've requested it. They've, we've implemented it. We do it begrudgingly in many traditional ceremonies. Okay. Here's what's really cool about the word acknowledgement. It's not an apology. It is the necessity to hold space and just be seen. Then and only then will you rise. If you are acknowledged, you will rise. And the request after multiple generations of abuse, neglect, and trauma, colonialism, debunking, everything that has ever happened to our Indigenous peoples in this country, they've said, can you simply acknowledge that, please? Can you simply acknowledge that, please? Because when we are acknowledged, when you see us, we will rise. And until you do that for us, we cannot. And I love that teaching so much because so much of us getting back and forth into diatribes or arguments or yes, but yes, but yes, but the quickest way to get back to zero is a simple acknowledgement, not just dropping the rope because sometimes that's a like you, but an acknowledgement. I see you. I see how hard you're pulling on this thing. Tell me more. Those three words save my ass all the time. Tell 
me more. more, especially when I don't want to know more. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I am one of the most opinion pe- opinionated people's I, people I know. I, look at I, this, the COVID thing. I probably had a stroke there. It was fine. But I, <laughs> I do not have a lot of tolerance for people who don't agree with me. One of my biggest challenges in life will always be to hold space for another's opinion. The more ignorant it becomes from my perspective, the less capacity I have to hold space and the more it is needed. Hmm. And these are the three words that allow me to do that. I may not agree. I may not condone. I may not support even your argument, but I must seek first to understand. Tell me more. As a leader, I say these three words all the time. What am I missing? I ask this question of kids all the time. What's the hardest part? What that allows for is a space for some acknowledgement of the emotion, particularly in the emotionally charged conversations like masking or is this a debacle? Is this a government conspiracy? And the more you have a conversation with somebody who's walked somebody home through this, watch them die, watch their baby with a huge fever, the more the more the less capacity I'm going to have to acknowledge that. Because what I'm going to say to you is, are you, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. If it hasn't touched my life at all, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? You might be right. Like, shit, I don't know. I don't even know anybody who's had it. But the more it matters to me, the less I will have space to acknowledge you. And the key always for the rest of time will be this human experience of acknowledgement. We will not outgrow it. And it defies age, race, religion, socioeconomic status, gender identity. You acknowledge someone, they will rise. That's interesting. I wrote down what matters more drives perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would add on to that because you brought it up for the spirit of contributing as the word guy. (laughs) The word but is... um, the word but is always a bait and switch word. Mm-hmm. It always is. It does not. And your brain even knows that. Yeah. Your brain has learned through your whole life that as soon as somebody says but, because we say that, we say, well, okay, I'm just waiting for the but. Right? It, like erases people, been, it erases an right? apology. It erases an apology. It does. And we and we sit there and we we sit there and we've said it in our lives. We said, oh, well, what's wrong? Well, I'm just waiting for the but. You said something good. So now I'm waiting for the but. You can see how the um, the bait and switch, we're prepared for the bait and switch. And if every time you you come up and you say the word but, you know, this is really great, but um, we bait and switch somebody from feeling great to now we're going to tear you down. And if you put a period there and start a new sentence or you use the word and, it will change that habit because everyone's pre-programmed into knowing that you're about to flip the switch on them and oh crap. And so if you want to change the conversation, drop the word, but um, that would be my contribution to that piece. Um, Jody, uh, before we finish, I just have one more question that I really wanted to ask you. What's one thing you learned about your husband through COVID that you get to carry with you now with gratitude because you never would have known it about him had you not been quarantined together for all those days? Oh my God. I love that you asked this question. Okay. So here's what's really interesting. Um, I'm the word guy in this family and he is a man of few words. What, how we got married is beyond me many days. Okay. <laughs> well, he's handsome devil. That's how you got married. Well, maybe, I mean, but it's, there's way more, beyond. <laughs> but he is, he's such a rock. And it's interesting. I want to read you a post that he put up today that I was just looking at before we went on the air. Um, he said the grants have finally four to five of their way out of COVID quarantine. Jody's finally feeling better. And this is essentially out of quarantine today. It's been a long go as we've pretty much been under house arrest since November 7th. I was released last Monday and so got a taste of freedom and the twins got their all clear on Saturday. So they're back at school today. Asher, who has never tested positive nor got sick, starts another 14 day quarantine today. So will he will have missed two months of school. Since he's been exposed to all of us for so long, he's likely immune to the virus. Thus, it's tempting to let him out. However, if we did this and he ended up testing positive or got sick in the next 14 days, the entire school would need to shut down for two weeks. This is a burden we don't want others to have to bear on our account. So he's staying home until it's official. You don't want this to happen to you. Being sick is not fun as it can beat you down. And it also messes with your mentality. We are lucky and fortunate to have been able to work from home. However, for those who don't have that option, the corona go through your family could be disastrous. 
A huge thank you to all who brought us food, gifts, and other goods over the past month. Your kindness is so greatly appreciated. We have more booze than we can drink in a year. However, we will give it our best effort. We will certainly save enough to try to drink with all of you once this corona is in the rearview mirror. 2021 will likely be a bad year for Jody and I's livers. Thank you so much again. That's what I love about him. Is that he understands the power of acknowledgement. And I didn't know that about him. I didn't know that he was good at that. I didn't know that he saw what I saw. I often am the one I'm like, hey, did you, did you say, are you, what are you, are you, hey. And I, um, I say this quite often. I, we've been married for 13 years. I'm more in love with him today than I was the day I got married to him. Uh, it doesn't mean I like him every day, but I have an appreciation for why he's in my life today more than I did on our wedding day. It's beautiful. I can hear it by the way. Um, Jody's a public speaker. She does all kinds of things, but you can hear there's a shift there when you uh, speak about him hmm. and um, there's, there's, uh, there's something beautiful there. Um, the unspoken, you can like, I can literally feel it. I feel emotional right now after you shared that. So thank you. Um, Dr. Jody Carrington, um, what's the best way to find you? Cause you're still doing your Instagram, uh, for people, the, the lives plus your practice and olds. There's so many different ways. What's the best way for people to find more about Jody Carrington? Oh my gosh. I love you. Um, well, Facebook, Instagram, I have a, the social platform is so critically important to me because that's where community gathers. And so since the beginning of COVID every Monday to Friday, now seven fifteen mountain standard time, uh, I do a live for 15 or 20 minutes, just kicking everybody's bum about how do we stay in the game and be kind to each other. And, uh, Sunday nights I do a live on Facebook and, um, we show pretty regularly on Instagram and Facebook. We have a big conference coming up on January 30th called stay lit where we want a day four times a year where this community gathers into one day of just connecting. So it's all virtual 2021, all of our four events. Um, but that's my, that's my big hope is to build this space of connection. And, um, and it's, this is what the, this COVID has gifted us is that our community has grown exponentially, which has been so beautiful. Um, but it's why we're here. See, we're, we're just walking each other home. Dr. Jody Carrington, thank you very much. You're the best. Thank you for having me. You take care, you amazing soul. This is The Shift Podcast. COVID is uh, around the world. In Canada, we've had conversation about getting vaccines, although just a little bit. In the UK, they literally have started poking people. So who do we call? We call our buddy. Our buddy who is in the UK. Uh, Lord Stephen Rossiter joins us now. He's from Highland Titles. That's how we met him. Um, you can check out Highland Titles. It's an amazing uh, project. But uh, Stephen is now a friend of the show. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, nice I'm, to talk to you again. It is nice to have you on the show. It's been a couple of months. I really appreciate you making some time and sharing it with us uh, here, Stephen. I just thought we would check in, brother, and see um, you know what things are, are, are going on in your land uh, in regards to COVID and these vaccines, are you in Scotland now, or yeah. are you back home in London? Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'm just up in Scotland now, but um, yeah, they're uh, really shouting about it. Apparently, history has been made today. We're going to call it V Day, Vaccine Day. <laughs> um, maybe we'll get a public holiday out of it. Who knows? That'd be all right. What's the tone, man? Because <laughs> things were getting really bad there, and then it seems to have calmed down. In Canada here, we've got a bit of a dumpster fire ourselves. So what's going on for you guys? So so um, what, what happened this morning was that at half past six uh, GMT time, so uh, about two hours ago, a 90-year-old woman was woken from her sleep and prodded and given uh, the very first vaccine in the world. Wow. That's remarkable. Um, uh, it, now, it was done it, at a hospital in Coventry in the Midlands. And, uh, yeah, it's the first of uh, many thousands. Now, she had, this is this. I don't know you know about this, this vaccine. I've just done a little bit of research on it. Just I'm yeah. no medical expert. But um, this is the vaccine that has to be stored at very cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to have two doses of it. So you get your first dose um, in, on day one. You have a second dose on day 21. And by day 28, you're meant to have full immunity. 
That's remarkable. What about, uh, so for the sake of being thorough, there's been no news about this 90-year-old woman. She's still okay? Like, everything's looking good? As far as we know it, yeah. I mean, as far as we know, she's still okay. She's probably gone back to sleep. I don't know whether I'd have appreciated being woken up at <laughs> half past six in the morning. <laughs> to be um, jabbed in the arm by a needle, I'd have been enjoying my sleep. Yeah, right. So how are things, um, you know, what does it look like there? I mean, in, here in Canada, frontline workers, um, some of the more vulnerable are certainly first in line. Is that the same take that you guys have? Yeah, exactly the same. So the frontline workers are going to be are going to be first. Um, and then uh, it will go on. I think you've got those over 85, I think, are at the top. And then frontline workers, um, those in care homes. Um, and then, uh, I mean, the likes of the, certainly the likes of myself are, are way down the list um, mm. for getting the vaccine. Um, so, but then, you know, should I get it, uh, hopefully uh, I have a, a, a less than a less than 1% or 1% chance of being hospitalized and a 0.01% of death. Uh, so, you know, it has to be done in, in a prioritized way, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it really does. And I mean, it would be dreadful to think that, you know, if other people needed it and, and you and I were getting it statistically, we're going to be okay. I guess it is a bit of a, a, a gamble to, to, to not really yeah. know. But at the same time, um, you know, it, it would be kind of dreadful. They're talking about yeah. an entire year of vaccines here. Is it the same in the UK? I think it, well, I think it's why when you think about it, you know, it's going to take that long, isn't it? But yeah. I would hope, I mean, the sort of the way that you hear, I mean, the thing is, you, uh, I don't know about it, it's the same in Canada, you know, you get one expert who says one thing, and then you get another expert who says another thing. But, I mean, thinking about it logically, you would hope that by the spring, we should be in a, in a, in a point where there's enough people vaccinated against it, that we can start to somehow get back to some sort of normality. Um, and, and hopefully start traveling again. You know, uh, that's what I miss the most is, is the travel side of it, you know. Um, and you think that would be, would you think that would be the case? Uh, well, I think so. I, it was sort of said in Canada that it was going to be, by September, half the population who wanted to get it. So that really tells you from a political perspective, if they're saying that, that really does mean 51% um, or else they wouldn't say that, right? Like, we'll be at 51% by this date. Therefore, we've said more than half the population. So I would expect that to be accurate. And I don't think it, it's going to yeah. take quite a long time. I, I don't, but what's Christmas look like for you, Stephen, in the UK? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And then again, you don't need everybody to be, you know, to, to start getting the, this so-called R-rate number down and, and everything else. And also it's all about um, hospitalizations and deaths, you know. And, and so, so long as we vaccinate those that are most vulnerable to, the, to being hospitalized and those that are most vulnerable to, to death, then we should start to create some sort of immunity and be able to, yeah. to live our lives. Because for vast majority of people and i know you know i believe the vast majority of people it's the flu you know and it, it's a bit uncomfortable for a couple of weeks but you get over it and you know we cannot keep damaging i don't know what the economy is like in canada but the economy in england and the united kingdom is just trashed completely mm -hmm. we've got major department stores closing uh we've got um uh, more people out of work now probably by the time this is over we'll have more people out of work than we did in the 80s i mean wow. it is just it's devastating for the economy devastating mm -hmm. and we have to start thinking about the future the future for our children and our grandchildren because if we don't they're going they are going to be paying for this for the rest of their lives and it's not mm -hmm. a good thing no, it's not at all. And it's a very long ball. My goodness. It's the same here, Stephen. It's the same when we look at some of the, the bigger groceries or bigger department stores have uh, not the whole chains, but some of the stores are closing. Um, you know, employment's been incredibly difficult. And, and here in Canada, the prospect of a very, very low key Christmas, not even seeing um, your family in our, my province right now, the restriction is no social visitors in your house at all. So what is Christmas? We've got about a minute here, Stephen. What is what does Christmas look like uh, for Lord Stephen Rossiter in the UK? Well, they have, they they've relaxed the rules for Christmas, um, but of course the, the COVID doesn't realise the rules have been relaxed. So they are saying that up to three households can mix. Now, I personally, we have had a family discussion and we've made a decision that we are going to 
spread Christmas over about four or five days, but so not have a big gathering and just sort of meet probably two households at a time. Um, we're all fairly fit in the family. We feel safe whenever we, we do meet. And I think people have to manage the risk. You know, uh, you could ban it. The government said if they banned everything, if they just said, right, it's illegal to meet up for Christmas, people would disobey it. There'd be mass disobedience. So what they've done is they've sort of tried to relax it and give people a bit more freedom in the hope that they will stick to that rather than meet 20 or 30. Um, mm. Whether that works, I don't know. I mean, they opened the shops up at the weekend. I don't know whether you saw any of the pictures, but there were scrums at Harrods. You know, the big department store in central London at Harrods. There are pictures on um, in the media of just people cramming to get in to buy their presents at Harrods. So, you know, you open the shops up and people are going to go and shop. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, if you, you can't open the shops and then say, oh, please don't go. It's just what they, they do is crazy. They, they do one thing and then they, they're, they're surprised when everybody descends there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we've seen that. It's, it's interesting how it's so far away, but it's, it's very much the same story. Stephen, I look forward to having you on again. It's been too long. We waited too long to hear your voice. Um, so please come back again soon. And thank well, you for thank making you time for, for us that. today. It's, it's great. I love it. It's good. It's good. It's oh. nice to talk to you. It's Lord Stephen Rossiter with High. He's with Highland Titles, by the way. That's how we became the uh, the Scottish Lords of Glencoe is uh, through their uh, yeah, say. That's how we met Stephen. It's uh, it's good. It's it, feel, it feels good. We just had that conversation today, so um, we'll share the good word. Thanks so much, Stephen. No problem. Nice to talk to you. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon, Stephen Rossiter. Right there. Um, Highlandtitles.com is his business, but um, we're just calling to get the to the tone of um, the tone of everything COVID in the UK. It sounds like they're they're moving along, and the very first person got the shot just this morning. It's the Shift Podcast. Maddie, how's your moon dial? Is it uh, you doing okay here for the time? Uh, let me check the. Uh... <sighs> yep, moon dial's good. <laughs> moon dial's starting to sound more and more like either coffee or whiskey. I don't know which way that one goes. Well, hmm. you know, it's been a long year. <laughs> it's been a long year. <laughs> it's been just as long as every other year so far. Um, Chronologically, maybe. Chronologically, it's true. All right, it is time for Are You Okay? Are you okay with gas station food? We should probably throw that one out to all of our truckers too. 877-399-9898. Um, is there any gas station food that's good that you guys get? Yes. Are you okay with gas station food? Yes or no? Well, I mean, I used to be quite okay with it. And I think, you know, when we were all in our younger sort of phases and maybe we worked near a gas station or at a gas station, but, you know, you'd pop whatever it is in the microwave, whether it's like a burrito or uh, mm -hmm. or anything. Chalupa. Yeah, or get yep. some pepperoni sticks and some cheese. and. Oh, yeah, those are good, too. Yeah, beef jerky. Actually, yeah, I th I'm okay because I still eat a lot of that stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, the beef jerky and stuff, too. But some of those sandwiches, man, like that, that was so faded. You couldn't tell the difference in color between the white bread, the mayo, the white lettuce, and the white ham that was on the sandwich like you couldn't tell the difference between what was what yeah it's but yeah after a while you just have one kind of gut punch too many and then you just have to start eating salad every now and salad. then every now and then i mean there was a 7-eleven across the street from my high school and 7-eleven hot dogs were a staple diet of students of saint francis high school oh yeah nowadays it's a treat it's like a nostalgia treat for me but mm -hmm. i have standards with with gas station food. I used to put, well, did you used to put the cheese sauce on your hot dog Always too? with the cheese sauce on there. there the Let's be, the cheese sauce is generous. Even sauce, yes, but cheese, <laughs> it's more like orange sauce. It's ironic mm. that you say that because just a few weeks ago, I was designated driving for some buddies and uh, we were going from one buddy's house to the other buddy's house back when we were allowed to have friends. And we stopped in at a, a, a 7-Eleven and they had those, it was like a breaded white meat thing. I think it had a name. It looked like kind of like a breaded wiener. And uh, my buddy Daryl, he's like, he's like, I got to do it. And they were spicy. And he's like, I got to do it. I was like, okay, do it. I said, but you got to get the cheese sauce. And he did it. And it was like the worst, the absolute worst. So once we got to the, uh, the final destination, when I did not have to drive anymore, there was one left. And I will confess, this is... 
this takes a lot to confess this. You're probably going to think less of me. Uh. So Daryl ate one and he's like, you want it? I was like, nope. And so he had like that because it comes in that paper tray that makes it even worse. And with the cheese sauce drizzled all over it. And then we, we, we were inside and, uh, and I was on my, I was like, I'm going to walk home now. Okay, guys, see you later. And, uh, and I had uh, a couple of things I left in his truck. So I went back to his truck and I grabbed a couple of things and I looked at it. I was like, I'm going to do it. And I did it. I've been sitting in the truck for like three hours and it was cold. And the, the cheese was not cheese. And, uh, but sometimes when you've had those drinks, man, you got to choke that back and mm-hmm. and uh, anyway absorb the yeah. the stuff in there. Yeah, the nutrients, the nutrients. I'm pretty oh. sure it's not nutrients that were in it, <laughs> yeah. but I, all right. I will say, and I have come down pretty hard already on gas station food. But uh, Jay and Whitehorse, if you are listening, there is a gas station in Whitehorse in the Yukon called Tags, and they have like the most insane fried chicken and and potato wedges. Really? Yeah, it's it's awesome. Really? Curious how you know that. I, I have family up in the Yukon. Oh, there you go. Really? Hey, my mom was born Sweet. up there. Maybe we're related after all, Maddie. That's uh, uh, maybe. Who knows? Never know. All right. Um, uh, hey, Ryan. Text comes in. St. Francis High School. I belong to the first graduating class of 1965. No way. I was the 50th graduating class at St. Francis wow. High School. Yeah, there, I have a little that? pin. That's crazy. That's cool. Small there world. You go. Small number world. one, number Love 50. It. I love it. Okay, so anyway, uh, back to are you okay with uh, uh, gas station food? A woman identified only as JC, really hungry one night after work, came home and found hardly anything to eat in the refrigerator. We've been there. We've all been there. Of it's kind of like me going to get my stuff out of Daryl's truck. She took a gamble and ate the five-day-old gas station sushi that had been ripening and ripening in her fridge. She suffered hallucinations for months and many other not-so-pleasant symptoms. The stomach cramps, the feeling of a fish flapping around in her belly, all of this pointing to a potential giant tapeworm that has been living and reproducing inside of JC that came from some contaminated fish of five-day-old gas station sushi. Doctors identify the tapeworm as Diphylobothrium latum, one of the largest tapeworms known to infect humans that can grow up to 30 feet long into the intestines. This species has a unique affinity for vitamin B12 and is well known to compete with the human host for the nutrient. I would like to apologize. Uh, That one probably should have had a disclaimer on it. (laughs) Oh, dear God hallucinations though isn't that wild because of the b12 deficiency because if the tapeworm has that that would explain why she was like having uh issues with her brain too that's crazy wow that's was she okay though i don't know let me let me check seem to be well according to story according to the script it said jc was given anti-worm medication and made a full recovery okay good i'm glad she's okay so what about um oh there it goes yeah there she goes so she was okay but first of all, there's a difference between uh, taquito, right, from a gas station, and sushi from a gas station. Definitely. Let's be clear. Yes. That's, that, know, that's the line you must draw. I'm pretty sure that it's safe to say everybody should just say no to gas station sushi. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair? Can we just, is that a life rule? Did we just create a life rule there, Matt? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're feeling adventurous and if you want to go on a crazy hallucinatory trip in your mind... Um, gas station sushi might be, you know, if you don't want to, you know, take acid or anything, then gas station sushi will be the one you, the route you go. That's the way to go. Hey man, I got the, I got the stuff. I got the, it's the hottest stuff you can get on the scene. Here it is. What is it, man? No, it's gas station sushi. It'll make you higher than anything you ever know. It's going to take about five months to take effect, but when it does, you are going to trip. <laughs> it's going to be awful. <laughs> Oh, the worm thing. Oh, God, that's disgusting. (sighs) Okay. (sighs) Are you okay? Uh, The fact that she ate five-day-old sushi shows that she was not okay to start with, so struck her dead. Correct. Thank you. Oh, ripening, you mean fermenting from Dwayne. (laughs) Okay, are you okay? I can't get the image out of my head. You can Are it. you okay with a KFC movie? Uh, you know, it's it's about time they made a movie about fried chicken. 
Is it like a a documentary about the whole process of making Kentucky Fried Chicken? I'd be okay with that. You know, it's a I like I love KFC personally. Yeah, well, it's no tags clearly, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's pretty good. So Lifetime has announced a mini movie titled A Recipe for Seduction. (laughs) Oh no. Hello. <laughs> Starring what? Mario Lopez because he clearly is uh, moving up in the scene. Mario Lopez is a young Colonel Saunders. No joke. This is the trailer. What the hell are you doing? A Lifetime original mini movie. You don't answer my proposal, and now you're not answering my call. Make him falling for the new chef. Jessica is falling for Harlan. The cook? Leave Jessica alone and skip town. He has a secret recipe that's going to change the world. Harlan claims to have some secret recipe. A secret recipe? (laughs) Spare me. We all have our secrets. If you marry my daughter, I promise there'll be more long weekends in your future. Mom, I have to tell you something. We have a problem. Secrets out, chicken man. I'll take care of this. Ruining everything! Just kill him already! Who the hell are you? Harlan Sanders. The new chef. Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders in a recipe for seduction. Premieres December 13th at noon, only on Lifetime. Presented by Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> what is what is this year? The what res- is happening? The recipe's oh out, chicken man. <laughs> Do you think like oh. McDonald's, like a guy named Ronald McDonald will try to steal or like herd him? Like one of the antagonists will be just like a bunch of people named after fast food chains? The, yeah, the know. Wendy's uh, girl yeah. will just be yeah. in there too. A redhead Wendy who is, you know, fiery and hard to deal with. And she keeps saying that her dad's going to come save the day. Dave. Oh, Dave. <sighs> So is that, is that legit? Like for real? Like is that a thing? It is. I mean, it's not April it Fools. So it's not April Fools. It's real. They're doing it. But KFC's been doing this. They made a video game that's in an anime art style where you like try to get together with Colonel Sanders, like a hunky Colonel Sanders. It, they mm-hmm. they made a game. It, their marketing strategy is bizarre, but it, I it's working. <laughs> like I think the title kills me too. A recipe for seduction. Like it sounds like a like a Harlequin romance novel or something um, about they Colonel used Sanders. To, well, see KFC's Twitter account. They uh, they looks like they still do. They only followed eleven accounts mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, and if you think about you know this is their marketing, their genius marketing with KFC is that KFC follows eleven accounts, and it's they're all eleven herbs and spices are the only accounts they follow. So, um, it is, it is, they are really cool, um, you know, for what they, what they do inside their marketing. Like it's really there. Like it's, it's, it's interesting. They've got a, uh, they've got a Colonel Sanders snowman too. It is, it is a lifetime TV original movie. There's the, there's the trailer. Okay. Well, we'll share this out. It's actually, uh, looks like it's a, We need a to do that thing. for stebbing. We need to have. We need to do a deep dive into that movie when it's out. Mario Lopez does a pretty good Colonel Sanders, though. I mean, <laughs> you're ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets out, Chicken Man. This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome, Welcome. to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Last week on the show, we had a conversation about engineering soldiers, super enhanced soldiers. And boy, oh boy, if uh, anything gets Greg Fish excited, it's manipulating DNA and creating futuristic soldier people. Greg Fish, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? We're good. Thank you very much for being here. Gas station food. Do you have any? Um, do you have any guilty pleasures there that you? will admit that you dip into oh let's see um yeah it really depends on my mood it it really does uh i'm not one of those people who's like really into like necessarily gas station food but uh if i'm if if i'm making a pit stop and i see some chips and it's been a while i'm definitely grabbing those chips 
No. 7-Eleven Slurpee. That for me. Summertime. Man, oh, man. Oh, a little bit of lime Slurpee. Slurpee, Right? A little bit of lime Slurpee. Slurpee. Oh, it's good. That's good stuff. All right, Greg Fish. In our story about uh, biologically enhanced super soldiers from last week, um, there's a lot to talk about here. You have had this on your World of Weird Things podcast a couple of times. So there's a lot of different places we can go. Let's start here. Does it start as Jason Bourne, or are we talking Terminator? Actually, no. We are talking. Um, we are talking about a very unreliable source uh, making up a lot of crazy rumors and being quoted by people who should really know better but don't. Um, so here's the big thing when it comes to trying to like engineer super soldiers and whatnot. A lot of the technology that we're told can make it happen these days doesn't actually work that way like not at all and the times that it has actually been used on humans has been pretty much a disaster hmm. so it's not gonna happen like it's still too hollywood is that what you're saying yep that's hmm. exactly what i'm saying but don't worry by the time that we're by the time that we're done i will tell you of a good way to make a super soldier Okay, so this is good. This is a little bit of uh, nefarious planning on our part. Um, so where do, where do we start with our super soldier? Are we manipulating uh, young adults here? Are we going for like the Jason Bourne military castaway thing? Or are we just going from the ground up and we're, we're designing babies? Well, the most common one is the most common one that you hear is designing babies. That's that's the most common one because you essentially have an embryo. You can manipulate the embryo however you want in theory, implant it, and when it's carried to term and becomes a baby, it will grow up and dot, 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 dot. Or at least, again, that's the theory. The reality is a lot more complicated. Now, um, a few years back, a Chinese scientist did illegally try to modify um, embryos to be immune to HIV by manipulating a gene called CCR5, which imparts a measure of immunity against HIV because it changes the proteins, the shape of the proteins to which the HIV virus latches on. So people who have that mutation are effectively immune. Um, the problem is that the actual evidence that was presented did not show any improvement whatsoever that any of the changes actually took place. And there's actually scientists who came in and said, well, wait, hold on. People with certain types of CCR5 mutations actually have a reduced, a slightly reduced lifespan. We're not talking, you know, decades, but we're talking a couple of years. And we don't know why that is. So before you start changing things, maybe think about it. There are also ideas of, well, let's go ahead and create an, an engineer a virus. And that virus is going to have the genes that we want. And we'll use this, this specialized technology called CRISPR, which essentially tries to home in where those changes are going to be inserted into the DNA. Let's inject those changes into a person and just like let the virus propagate. And the thought was, well, this is a really good way to get genetic changes into a person because, you know, that, that's how, that's how viruses do it. A, a, a non-trivial percentage of our DNA is just virus DNA that's just been left in our bodies as junk over the many millions of years that our genes evolved. But it turns out when you do that, your body resists. I mean, you have an immune system. So the vast majority of these attempts to change your DNA are rejected by your immune system. So it, again, it doesn't, it's one of those things that it works in theory, but it doesn't really work in practice, mostly because consider that your body is a bunch of very complicated biochemical machines. And those machines have evolved to be stable and to reject changes that may be deleterious and random attempts to mess with them. So if it was that easy to just change your DNA, uh, we would have just been either a pile of tumors or a pile of goo. We would have never actually like become humans. So, and actually funny enough, that also goes into people who are afraid of the new COVID vaccines to say, well, you know, there's, there's DNA that's there. There's like genetic material that's there. 
yeah, if just injecting that in your body alone could change you, then you, you would not like be human. Like the entire human species would not exist. Life on earth would not exist if it was as easy to do that as it seems. So the, the key word here is the biological development, right? Is that, is that the separation between what we see as the sort of robotic or partially robotic human as opposed to this conversation, which uh, sort of as described gets into the um, biologically enhanced super soldier? Is that the separation between sort of the part robot and then just a superior species? Yes. And, you know, when it comes to superior species, there have been people who have tried to engineer the engineer humanity to be like a super species. There's plenty of eugenicists who've had all sorts of experiments. Uh, I mean, let's not go into the darker parts of history, uh, but there has been actually the, the so-called Nobel sperm bank where people who wanted to have, a, a, where they were advertised that, oh, you're going to have a genius child because, you know, you're basically carrying the child of, of a genius who won a Nobel award or, or was a very notable scientist or had super high IQs. And believe it or not, the vast majority of the people who were born from that were fairly average. Some were not, uh, were not necessarily that great at I mean, I guess some, some of the skills that people thought they would have. And yes, there were a couple who were indeed born geniuses and very high achieving. But in, in the end, it was basically they fit on a bell, on a bell curve of human achievement. And because that's just how genetics works. There's so many genes. There's so many external factors. There's so many internal factors. There's so many environmental pressures as an embryo is developing and as a child is growing up that it's basically impossible to control all of them. And when we talk about things like natural selection and trying to select um, living things for something, you have to either A, control a lot um, to the point where it, it might become impossible or, or do so many trials that it's going to take you tens of thousands of years to actually get anywhere with it. And then the other issue is that you might end up selecting for things that are completely arbitrary where nature only really cares about can you survive? Can you pass on your genes? That's it. And are your children going to be healthy? That's the only thing that nature uh, optimizes you for. And any attempt to try and interfere with that is essentially us invoking artificial constraints and saying, well, this should work, right? No, because that's not what your genes do. They don't, they don't care about your test scores. They don't care about how well you can play basketball. They don't care about how good of a sniper you're going to grow up to be. They, they don't care about that. That, that's all training. That's nurture. That's environment. If you want a super soldier, you have to raise one. Or, or, like you said, use machinery. The amount of, um, calculations, if you will, the amount of cells that have to, we often forget, I think, in our world, the miracle of, of humanity and the miracle of life in general. The amount of cells that have to do all the right things in all the right order and be able to function together cohesively just to get to a, a living thing, let alone a baby and let alone a baby that becomes an adult that, you know, thinks and feels. I mean, it's, it's a staggering chain of events. Is that why it would be so impossible to even really dig into what could happen in that? I mean, because it could go sideways really quick, I would say. Absolutely. Trillions of cells. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about trillions of cells. And just like you said, things can go wrong very quickly if you do something very stupid or you do something that you don't really think through. I mean, that said, there are scenarios where we can and have proven that we can manipulate genes in a very, very targeted way in very, very narrow scenarios that kind of open the door to, okay, well, maybe we can cure certain types of cancers. Maybe if there's literally one gene that has an error, we can replace that one single gene and stop people from having certain genetic diseases in the future. But anything that requires more than like one or two genes in question or anything that uh, that is trying to play with your normal cells, that's where scientists are seeing a lot of problems and a lot of pushback from your immune system, from your cellular machinery, just completely rejecting it. I just thought of a story. The um, 
it was out of China. Is the CRISPR thing? Is that the is that the doctor that had those those girls that were heavily manipulated in the DNA yep. and then it went, went brutally wrong? Is that the same story? Yep, that's the that oh, that is the, the uh, CCR five story. That's uh, that's the oh, story okay. of Hee Jin Koo. Because that went into the morality stuff, even about um, taking away their fertility, so those women, because those are living human beings um, that are living with all these troubles, but there was the morality of should they have their fertility taken away, so they didn't perpetuate the manipulated DNA. Like it was, it was a not only was it the starting with the DNA manipulation in the beginning, but it it became one of those. How do you tell these? these these human these human beings that by the way you can never have babies because uh, your your dna is manipulated there, there was that moral question too wasn't there yeah and and i have to say that that's one of those things where it's um where uh, it, it really opens up a can of really nasty worms it's definitely one of those one of those things where you you really need to ask if you should before you do hmm. yeah that doctor got in a lot of trouble for that didn't he yeah, he did, and he really should have. What he did was incredibly stupid and incredibly dangerous and incredibly immoral. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, though, I understand that there's going to be a lot of pressure on doctors and engineers and scientists to do things that are not necessarily moral but are advantageous to, you know, militaries or politicians. Um, I, I do definitely think that at some point you will see um, people who are artificially enhanced um, for warfare, for space travel, for things of that nature, uh, but that's going to probably be cybernetic. And I, this is this is kind of like my my scientific hill that I'm going to die on because, um, so this is kind of like the thing between. Um, so I'm I'm from an engineering discipline, um, and uh, biology we kind of call it the squishy discipline. Uh, so biology is not very predictable and not very reliable and there's a lot of things that can go wrong and there's a lot of things that can change machines are a lot more stable and a lot more re more reliable provided that you write the code right i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a limb on, on i'm i'm gonna go on a limb and, and say like let's say that the that you wrote the code as correctly as you can um you trained your ais as well as you possibly can if you use biology to try and enhance humans, you're going to have a lot of very complicated things happen, and a lot of them can go wrong, and a lot of them are going to be rejected. If you use machinery, you have a much higher chance of success, because as it so turns out, in many experiments that have been done over the decades, humans integrate with machinery extremely well. If you attach nerves to machinery and teach the machinery how to read nerve pulses to understand um, impulses and some very basic reflexes and thoughts, your mind will learn to treat the machinery as an extra limb. So all of a sudden you're going to have that, that, that incredible advantage of, um, it's going to start with people who can't walk, who've been paralyzed in accidents or had strokes or locked in, and it's going to give them back their mobility. Hmm. And it's going to progress to all right, well, if we can get an injured person walking, what happens when we apply it to a healthy person? That in itself certainly has its own moral implications. Like, can you, you know, uninstall this chip that, you know, makes the person, uh, basically gives the person Google in their head? Uh, can you, should you, um, should you allow, should you build a kind of exoskeleton on top of a person and integrate that exoskeleton in them so it's a part of them? There's all these, there's definitely questions to answer there, but they are a little bit less tricky because you're not dealing with biology. You don't have to tell someone, well, you can't have kids ever again, or we may have, you know, shorten your, shorten your lifespan because we played around with your genes and we made a mistake. Um, we don't have to subject, uh, and, and, and think about this. If you are experimenting with, biology but with biology a little bit too much uh one of the things you one of the things you might get is you might get um for for lack of a better word um failures in in achieving your goal very catastrophic failures um and and that will definitely <laughs> that that should definitely haunt the minds of any researcher who tries it whereas with technology the worst case scenario is 
you can usually just, you know, unplug everything and, and say, okay, maybe, maybe that's a bad idea. Let's, let's figure out what went wrong. So one last quick question, Greg Fish. How do we kill ourselves first? Messing with a biology or a uh, series of half human, half robots that take over the world? Oh, definitely biology. We would, if we mess with our biology too much, we can basically make ourselves extinct. If we play with robotics too much, then, uh, yeah, I don't know. We can just leave to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, worldofweirdthings.com, the World of Weird Things podcast as well. You can link up with both of those from the website. Greg Fish, thank you very much, brother. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.